today's episode. And the argument is that all of this information at our fingertips makes us intellectually lazy. Right. We don't have to right. absorb this information and therefore we're stupid. And you know, I just find that to be fundamentally incorrect. Instead, what I think is that what is important and what we would consider a sign of intelligence changes by generation based on the tools available to us and the things that are required of us. Mm -hmm. So there was a large time, a large amount of time in which storage of knowledge in our heads was important because it was literally the only way to carry that stuff around. And that's not true anymore. So now there is, um, there's information at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And I would say that storing information in your head is no longer as valuable as being able to find and mm -hmm. distill information and being able to create patterns in that information and how to make sense of information quickly. That to me is now, I think, a, a, a like a more modern sign of intelligence. It's not to say that one is better than the other or more intelligent than the other, but it is to recognize that things change, including what we need out of ourselves. Welcome to the Modern Author Podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. Eric Custer. You've got to go to them. Those were the wise words of uh, the Entrepreneur Magazine editor-in-chief and author, Jason Pfeffer, where we talk a little bit about the fact that too often people are afraid to put themselves out there. And as he shares, no nobody's coming for you, whether you're at the top or at the bottom. You have to go out to them. And that's the most powerful thing that, that I learned from this conversation. Just the fact that so much of life is about putting yourself out there, going to those people, building bridges, building relationships, and not being surprised that when good things happen, uh, if you're waiting around for someone to come to you, you may spend a lot of your life waiting. And I think Jason shares a lot of his experiences as someone who's worked with thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs in uh, at Entrepreneur Magazine, but only not only tells that, but his own story of getting there when he was a journalist at a small publication and how he had to essentially put himself out there, get in front of the right people, keep moving forward until he was able to make his own break to become the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine and grow it into the powerhouse that it is today. He focuses a lot on the importance of building relationships. And as you'll hear in this conversation, he is now working on a new book and hearing the discipline, the approach that he uses to build a podcast, Build for Tomorrow, as well as the book, it really is incredible about how he prioritized relationships, understanding who his people are in his audience, how to build those relationships and be thoughtful, but remembering that really every single conversation is an opportunity for him from there. And so I think you'll see whether you're creating and launching a new audio show or a book or a novel, the fact that you have to start thinking about that at the very beginning of the process is critical and key. Jason is someone who has been a real force out there. I've gotten to know him uh, through some of our shared work at the uh, at NextGen Summit. And I think he understands the importance of continuing to reinvent himself to deliver. And I think we even had a small visit from his youngest child that has just joined us here during the conversation. So you'll see constant reinvention, constant pushing himself and really a great person. I think he embodies this idea of resilience and why all of us needed to succeed today. You're gonna enjoy the conversation largely because Jason pulls no punches, but also makes you think a lot about what it takes to succeed today, particularly when your audience is your audience. And if you build it and you create it, lots of great things happen. But if you stand around waiting for that audience to be built for you, you're gonna wait a long time. Jason Pfeffer, everyone, Entrepreneur Magazine, editor-in-chief, author, and really just all around great guy.
Hi. The man, the myth, the legend himself. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Sorry. Uh, uh, hold on. Um, uh, my bait, I have a 20 month old who is at home. Congrats. It has, well, congrats. I don't know about that. I have, uh, a, I have anyway. a 17 month old, so I, I'm at least empathizing here. <laughs> it has, uh, it has thrown off all my stuff. Um, and I wanted to get a nicer camera going here, but I didn't have time to set it up. So I guess we're just going to leave that as it is. Okay. We're just doing this. Hey, we're doing hey live. how are you? Hey everybody. Yeah. First off, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. We really, we appreciate your, your wisdom and your knowledge here. Oh, we, no. I think we got you now. You look. Yeah. We good? Did I lose you for a second here? Are we good now? There we go. There we go. Perfect. Uh-oh. This is, What's going this on? What happens when you do it live, right? We just like do these things. Well, you, you, get, you, keep cutting, you keep cutting out. Yeah. I know. The internet connection is unstable. Hopefully this will. I, I have, I just literally. Oh, no. Let's go. Oh. Oh, look at that. Now the camera started working again. Uh, or now the camera started working. Yeah. All right, let's go. I did just buy this Ethernet cable, but I haven't figured out how to work it yet. If we're having trouble, I can, I'll can. i try to fix it. But otherwise... Listen, we'll hang out. It's good. This is... Uh, first off, thank you so much for hanging out with us here. As I was... So, so we, were, we were emailing back and forth today. I was saying that it was funny. Like, the diversity of questions that came in for you was amazing to see, which sort of inspires me to say here that basically, like, you are... You have a diverse background here. Tell me a little bit about, like, how do you do all these different things here and make it make sense to you? How does this have this diverse background here. Yeah, it's funny. I started doing all the things and then I figured out how to make it make sense. So it, was, it didn't happen. It happened in the other direction. My background is as a, a magazine editor. And then prior to that, at the very beginning of my career, I was a newspaper reporter. And I've always had this drive to figure out what more I could do, what else I could learn. I, I have this theory of work, which is which I call work your next job, which is basically that in front of you at any opportunity, or I'm sorry, in front of you at any moment, there are two opportunities, two sets of opportunities at A, opportunities at B, opportunities at A is the stuff that's being asked of you. So what, what is required of you at your job? What are you being measured by? Opportunities at B are all the things that are available to you that nobody's asking you to do. And those could be things at your job, but they also could just be things that you could learn at home that are just available to you. Nobody's asking you to do them. And I've just always felt that opportunities at B is more important. That opportunities at B is where you grow, where you become more and more qualified to do things that you may not even anticipate. And so that's just where I've always focused. I've always wanted to learn and grow and just put myself in new situations. And over time, in the last couple of years, I realized that uh, a kind of common theme among everything that I'm doing is change, the like, understanding yeah. change, figuring out the embracing change, figuring out the patterns of change, why people resist change. And so that became something that I focus on as like, I, I infuse entrepreneur with that and pessimist archive is very driven by that. And now a question that I keep asking myself is how do I occupy that space as much as possible myself yep. through talks and a book and which I'm working on now and basically. Yeah. So uh, on that a little bit here, and I got a question from someone earlier that was a good one is so, yeah. you know, you've got this like big fancy deal job. You're like editor of this like fancy schmancy magazine here. And yeah. yet you do these other things on the side. How do you get your, give yourself permission? Because there's always this sense of shouldn't people be focused on one thing? And it doesn't mean you're distracted, you're not do, giving your all. How do you, there's this self-permission, but then this like communicating that you've given yourself. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, 
Going back to that work your next job theory of mine, I have internalized that so deeply. I was doing it before I had a term for it. I, I had been, even when I was a newspaper, I, my very first job, I was a community newspaper reporter at a 6,000 circulation daily newspaper really? where nothing was happening. And and I, I was sitting there every day and I was like, I got to do something bigger. I got to do something bigger than this. I meant for bigger. I don't know what, I don't know how to define it but I know I just am. And I literally wrote a story about how crappy it was to work at that job while I was at that job and had it published in a, what was then a popular online magazine called The Morning News. It still exists, themorningnews.org, but at the time it was like really big. And the chances that my boss, who was 500 years old, was ever going to see that was pretty low. And, and I just knew I quit that job soon thereafter. And I sat in my bedroom for nine months and I freelanced. And I just realized like, nobody's ever coming to me, like yeah. ever. It doesn't matter. Like at the bottom, at the top, nobody's ever coming to me. I have to go to them. Excuse and me. I just feel that. And mm -hmm. I've always operated at every single job I've ever been at that like, again, opportunity set B is just more important. So mm -hmm. I don't really care if it gets in the way of opportunity set A. Mm -hmm. And also I should, I, I will make the case that I think that focusing on opportunity set B often makes me better at opportunity yeah. set A. I am a, I am a better advocate for entrepreneurs and for Entrepreneur Magazine mm -hmm. because I taught myself how to be good on camera, right. because I figured out how to do public speaking, because I'm good on microphone, because I know how to make podcasts. Nobody asked me to make a do any of that stuff. Yeah. But I think I'm better because of it. And fortunately, entrepreneur agrees with that. But you know, <laughs> if you didn't, then I'd move along because right. I think that stuff's more important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it is. So I, I do think it was interesting, right? And, and I was I was listening to the Teddy Bear podcast, by the way, mm -hmm. Pessimist Archive, uh, yeah. which was what was so interesting about that, that podcast. And I've been listening to it for years. I think what's nice. so interesting about it is like you let yourself have permission to be curious. Mm -hmm. And you do it publicly. We talk about a lot in this course about this idea of learning out loud. How do you like, how do you decide what you're going to explore and learn? Which I think is a really great question for, for most of us here. So I have always just picked a direction and then learned along the way. I don't, on a broad scale of my career and on a narrow scale, making an episode of a podcast, I don't know where I'm going when I start. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I, I, if you guys listened to that teddy bear episode, I didn't, I had no idea. All I knew was that there were, that teddy bears were controversial in 1907. I didn't know why. I didn't know what I was going to find. And I just figured it out as I went. I have found, there's this interesting theory. This is going to sound like it's like, I'm just a completely different subject, but I'm actually going to bring it back around. So there's this phrase that you can find all over the place, which is Google makes you stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, the Atlantic put Google makes you stupid on their cover, which I think was stupid. Um, and the argument is that all of this information at our fingertips makes us intellectually lazy. We don't have to absorb this information and therefore we're stupid. And I just find that to be fundamentally incorrect. Instead, what I think is that what is important and what we would consider a sign of intelligence changes by generation based on the tools mm -hmm. available to us and the things that are required of us. Mm -hmm. So there was a large time, a large amount of time in which storage of knowledge in our heads was important because it was literally the only right. way to carry that stuff around. Yeah. And that's not true anymore. So now there is, there's information at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 
storing information in your head is no longer as valuable as being able to find and mm -hmm. distill information and being able to create patterns in that information and how to make sense of information quickly. That mm -hmm. to me is now, I think, a, 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 like a more modern sign of intelligence. It's not mm -hmm. to say that one is better than the other or more right. intelligent than the other, but it is to recognize that things change, including what we need out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I just said that was to say that I think of myself as someone who's pretty good at the latter. I'm not really good at the former. I'm pretty mm -hmm. bad at storing information in my head, but I'm really good at finding and bringing together and making coherent information. And so I want to send myself out on that. I want that to be the defining thing that I do. So I'm mm -hmm. going to go out and make a career out of just figuring out what's next for mm -hmm. me and what's next for this thing that I found mm -hmm. and just digging. And I find that whenever I do that, I come across stuff that I wouldn't have possibly anticipated was there right. at the beginning of the journey. And that's what always validates it to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so on that note a little bit here, right? And that's what I think is so great about reading your writing and when it's other an entrepreneur, whether it's again, like the storytelling aspect of it, you've become the master at sort of like finding interesting stories that may not have been there. Yeah. Take me into the world of, like, we got a bunch of authors here and they're like trying to help make their story interesting. How do you basically like filter all the, like, I, I sent them the, the video where you said, the journalist does not care about your startup. And I said, replace that with book. <laughs> and I said, like, the same sort of thing there. But how do you wind up like helping, how do you wind up filtering that noise for what's actually interesting and relevant to other people? It starts with understanding the audience. Everything comes down to understanding the audience. And I would push you, and I just went through a process like this with Pessimist Archive, which I can talk about, but to really deeply understand your audience, mm -hmm. what they need from you, what they think you represent, and how you serve and deliver value to them, mm -hmm. uh, and do it in a unique way. Right. If you understand that and you stay completely true to it, you are always filtering everything that you do through that, then the decisions that you make start to guide themselves hmm. in a way. I feel like when people put something out and it doesn't really work, in part it was because it didn't really understand who its audience was. And I see, I see that all the time. Right. I, I, there is, I have this theory about, um, about producing media and Inside of media, I, I also include like personal branding, mm -hmm. um, which is that you should have you should have a, a healthy but correct balance of predictability and surprise. Hmm. So what I mean by that is when people come to you know when people come to Entrepreneur Magazine, mm -hmm. they're coming because of some level of predictability. Right. They have a specific thing that they want in their lives, and they think that this magazine fulfills it, or my podcast fulfills it, or my Instagram fulfills it, or whatever the case is. And so they're coming for that. So you need to understand what that predictability is. What are people looking for so that you can deliver it? And then the surprise is that you need to deliver it in new ways so that they're constantly saying, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I came yeah. here for this thing and now I got it and I didn't know what I was looking for and I have right. it. Now you can do that wrong. If you pick this magazine up and you open the cover and it's actually 17 magazine, that's a bad surprise. <laughs> right? Good, right? Yeah. It's not what you wanted. So you have to understand the predictability and surprise balance. And I think that when you do that, you start to be able to filter what works and what people are coming for. Now, the, the interesting thing 
about the, the process that I just went through is that I, I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I didn't fully understand my audience at Pessimist Archive. I thought for a long time, and this is in part because my interest in the show and what I thought the show was evolved as well, and I didn't keep up with understanding the audience. I thought it was a history audience, and I thought that it was a kind of just general curiosity audience. But then I hired a consultancy, and in the past year, they did a deep dive on the audience. They, they surveyed them. They got on the phone and interviewed them, and they found that the number one reason that people are coming to the show is actually because they are concerned about the future, and they like that the show makes them feel more resilient for the future. It's hmm. actually a kind of form of self-help, even though the show doesn't sound like that at all. Yeah. So yeah. now that I know that, I can shift the story, the types of stories that I pick, how I title the episodes, what the logo looks like. I literally updated the logo last night. Also for my book that I'm working on that is going to be based a lot on the research from Pessimist Archive, I, I, I reframed the entire book, including the title, because I had that insight. And now I know how this information that I'm finding is fitting into people's lives. And that is critical to know. I love it. I love it. So to the point about you talked earlier about this idea of like surprising people, I, I in the startup world, I call it the delight factor, right? One of my friends, yeah. Jonathan is a lead designer at Uber. And he said, one of the things they did is when those little cars that move around, this, right? they put that in there because it just made people say, Ooh, this is cool. Like that sort right. of thing behind Surprise it. Delight. That's the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Delight. So this is to take this a little funny turn here. So this is, was a little delight factor for me. Like when you put out Mr. Nice Guy here a little bit, and by the way, it's, it is, it's quite delightful. I have to tell you, like, but it was a little surprising. I have to admit with you, uh -huh. um, when you put out a book here and you co-wrote this with your wife. So describe this idea of what it's like putting out a book that's a romance, comedy romance, uh, humor. What was that like to put this out there and say, Hey, I wrote this book. H how do you fit that in that delight factor idea? So it's, it's an interesting question. And so for those who don't know, Mr. Nice Guy is a romantic comedy. It came out in 2018. Mm -hmm. It's about two people who, this is not going to be unlike, this is unlike anything else that we've talked about so far. <laughs> it, uh, it's about two people who each week sleep together and then critically review each other's performance in a magazine. Mm -hmm. It's like a real, it's like a romantic comedy. These two people, they come together. Their relationship has very large ups and downs. It's a lot of fun. The idea yeah. that I was that we were going for was to explore what would happen if you stuck to brutal honesty on something that nobody's ever really honest about, which is mm -hmm. Arthur's performance. They, I started working on that book. We started working on that book years before I was that entrepreneur and therefore years before I had framed myself in this way to mm. the public. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started working on the book, I was really, I thought of myself as a guy who makes funny things. I'd made a number of like viral weirdo things and I was an editor at Fast Company and I just thought this is going to be another fun weirdo thing that I made right. because my, my idea of myself has evolved as I think everyone's idea of themselves should evolve. But a couple really interesting things have come out of that. So first of all, the reason why we did it was because I had an idea for that book. Like I just had that premise when I was in my like mid twenties, I had started corresponding with a sex columnist who had reached out to me asking for freelance writing advice. And, and it gave me the idea for this book. And I tried to write it many times, but it turns out I'm not a fiction writer. And then I, many years later, married a fiction writer. <laughs> he encouraged me to write the book myself. And I just, I tried, I couldn't get anywhere. And so when she sold her most recent novel prior to that one, she was trying to figure out what to write next. And I said, why don't you just write my book? And she said, I'm not going to write your book, but why don't we write it together? Mm -hmm. And I liked that idea. And you know what it taught me was right idea, wrong time. It's mm -hmm. totally fine to have a great idea and for it not to be the time for that idea. Mm -hmm. Store it away, 
think about it, it may require something that you cannot predict. I had that book when I was in my 20s. I didn't meet my wife until I was 28 or 29. Mm -hmm. So I could not have predicted how this thing would pay off. But right. I mean, right idea, wrong time is great. And, and then the other thing about it was I got two totally different responses <laughs> to telling people about the book, depending on what kind of person they were. So my media network of editors and journalists who, who I have known for, for most of my career, when I told them about the book, they said, great, congratulations. And when I told entrepreneurs about the book, they said, oh, that's great. And what is it for? <laughs> yeah. And the reason that they were asking that is because to the journalist, the putting out of the book is the end goal by itself. Mm -hmm. But to the entrepreneur, a book represents part of a larger structure, right? Mm -hmm. A book is about getting speaking gigs. A book is about clients. A book is about personal branding and public presentation. It's a totally different thing. Right. And I have to say, I, I, I have in the last couple of years, as I've been an entrepreneur and thought more deeply about myself as a personal brand, I've shifted towards that second way of thinking, where everything that I do, I feel should be building towards a cohesive whole and that I'm wasting my time a little bit if I'm just um, creating something that's going to be standalone and is going to drift off into the Netherlands. There are things that I got out of that book experience. We sold the TV rights, so that's been great. I get, a, I get an entry into that world. Also, I got to market it, so that was was a product that I got out to go out and market. And so that I learned a lot about that. And, uh, and so there were really valuable things about doing it. But the next book that I do, the one that I'm finishing the proposal for now is one that's going to be really tied to the full comprehensive thing that I've been building. You were like, you, so I literally like you set this up for me, like the perfect next question I was going to ask you is, so now you've done this book, you learn how to market things are ready. Now you're doing the next book. What do you tell yourself differently now on marketing book number two that you put out there that maybe you wouldn't have known the first time? Cause it is, you're like constantly being pitched about like stories. Now here you are telling other people and you've got some amazing people. You've got like the who's who of every like journalism uh, sort of like right. magazine out there. Who's right. Exactly. <laughs> They're all just friends. The, the like dirty secret about, about book, book blurbs is that they're almost all entirely just people that the author knows. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, like book blurbs are, they're a giant, I mean, they're just BS. They're completely ridiculous. The one thing on that book, by the way, that was pure, that came out of nowhere was the Kevin Kwan uh, yeah, quote. The, the crazy author, Rich, rich Asians yeah, for everyone who can see that. Crazy Rich Asians. We sent him a galley copy of the book, figuring it was the longest shot in the world. And then... And of course, I didn't hear back, which we didn't expect. I think we sent it to a number of people that were like Kevin Kwan. And, and then days before the book got printed, days before, out of nowhere, I get an email from Kevin Kwan saying, hey, I read the book, really liked it. And then just like some nice things about that. And I, I, so I forwarded it to my wife and uh, the, the publishing team. And I basically was like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so we were like, so then we asked my editor, do we have time? We asked our editor, do we have time to get this quote on the cover? And she said, if you can get it right now, then yes. And so I just took part of Kevin Kwan's email and I just sort of shaped it a little bit into a blurb quote. And I sent it back to him and I said, Kevin, I'm sure you're extremely busy. Just writing us has been is immensely generous of you. But if I can ask one more thing, um, can I take this part of your email and put it on the book? <laughs> and, and, and he responded from like the Chicago airport where he was traveling on book tour or something. And he said, sure. 
And so on it went, and we did it. It was great. And now I don't remember what on earth your actual original. About what you'll do to, uh, to market the next book. What's oh, the right. you had about it? That's right. Okay. So the number one thing that we learned in book in the book marketing was that was that the book marketing has to start way before you have a book to market. Like way before, and and so we did that with we did that with Mr. Nice Guy. The basically the second that we sold it, we had a, about a year before it was going to come out, and um and we spent a lot of that time reaching out to people in women's media where we weren't really that well connected, mm-hmm. and asking if we could take people out to lunch or come in for a, just a chat. And the way we, our, that we didn't have a book to give them, we played as a strength, which I think mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. We could say, look, we don't even have a book to give you. What I'd really love is just your insights on this audience and this market. And I think, honestly, they were willing to say yes to that because right. they knew that we weren't. I wasn't going to pitch them. Obviously, I was going to pitch them later. But, <laughs> exactly. but so we did that and that that went pretty well and did lead to some coverage. But now I have been for years, because that was a thing we did we did for one year. That was like a right. like a year-long sprint. This leading up to this book, it, I will probably have been doing that for five years. Right. Except what I'm doing is that I'm doing nice things for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm leveraging whatever opportunity I have. If I put somebody in the magazine and they and I build any kind of personal relationship with them because of it, if I speak at an event and the organizers are happy, anything, it goes into a spreadsheet. Hmm. It goes into a spreadsheet that I call good contacts, literally hmm. right there on my desktop, good contacts. And that thing is full. It's by tab. It's like founder, investor, media, it just everybody I have come across for years and then a, and then a note any relevant information so that four years later I can look at it and I can remember and you better believe I have not asked a single thing of people mm-hmm. because this is my ask yep. this is it this is the ask I'm not I've, I'm doing so many things for people and I'm logging it all and mm-hmm. I'm never ever asking for a thing mm-hmm. because I'm gonna ask them for this and this one thing is going to be tell their audience about the book or if you're running a company do you want to, would you buy 200 copies of the book and I'll give a talk at the company whatever it is i'm yeah. saving it all up for yeah. that God, you, uh, this is, you, it's like we prepared this thing. I didn't, <laughs> this is exactly what I tell the same thing is in some ways we all have audiences. We just have to be really thoughtful about building up our karma bank, doing nice things for it and that kind of way behind it here. So what is that? What is, I'm going to ask this question in sort of a, a fun way, but you've profiled some amazing people here in the, the in entrepreneur magazine. What is the coolest way that someone's convinced you to give them the time to even make the pitch into it? Was there an interesting like in that someone gave to get your, Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's easy. That's easy. That's my favorite one. As Jeff Peterson. So Jeff, um, Jeff runs something called Geneva Supply in um, Delavan, Wisconsin. And, and Geneva Supply is, it's a company that facilitates, I'm not, I'm going to do a bad job of describing it. It's like a real B2B, it's like an Amazon sale. It's like, he's got a warehouse full of things and he helps companies sell on Amazon, which apparently is extremely complicated. It's not Lake Geneva, John. It's like, it's, I think it's literally, it's, De- yeah, it's Delavan, Wisconsin. It's on Lake Geneva or it's near Lake Geneva or something like that. Yeah. And, and I've been out there for reasons that I'll explain in, in a second. So anyway, John, uh, Jeff comes to a, entrepreneur event years ago in in California and I was the MC of the event and 
after the event, some one of my colleagues tells me, they're like, oh, you got to see this thing on Facebook. This guy Facebook lived walking across the room to give you his business card. And so <laughs> I don't remember that because so many people give me their business card. But then I went online to watch it and it's hilarious. It like starts across the room and, and it's like Jeff Peterson from Geneva, Wisconsin here or from Delavan, Wisconsin, from Geneva Supply, whatever the hell he says. He's like, he's like I see Jason Pfeiffer over there going to give him the card. And then he like walks over and then whoever's holding the mic uh, does play by play or whoever's holding the camera does play by play. Oh, Jeff's going in for the move. Oh, there he is. And he's landed the business card. It's so funny. And so I watched it and then I posted it on my own social because I was just charmed by it. And so then, then Jeff, of course, reached out and just was nice and said, hey, I really enjoyed the event. It'll be great to catch up sometime or something. And I said, great. So glad you could make it. And then four months later, Jeff reached out and he said, hey, I'm going to be in New York. Would you mind if I came by um, and just said hi at the office? For, and, and people ask me that all the time. Right. And I always say no, because if I said yes, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. Right. But this guy was, he had made this thing that was so funny and I was curious about him. And so I said, sure. And so he came over and, uh, and we just chatted for maybe I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour. He didn't pitch me anything. And, and then after he took a photo, uh, left, and then he sent me a bottle of whiskey from Wisconsin and, um, and then made his ask another six months later. And his right. ask was, would I MC an event that his company is hosting as a fundraiser for a, um, a program that he has to do like job prep for local high school students or something? Mm -hmm. And it meant flying out to Delavan, Wisconsin. And he was not going to pay me anywhere close to my regular speaking rate because it's a fundraiser. But you know what? I said yes. But I said yes because I liked him. Right. Uh, I liked him. I trusted him. The program was good. And and now I I've emceed that event for three years. Really? And, um, yeah. And I just and I really like Jeff. And and what I did and I did finally put him in the magazine. He had a great idea for the back page, which is this page called "What Inspires Me," where entrepreneurs share an object that that represents something and inspires mm -hmm. them and he has in his office he has a he has like a moose head on the wall and he's not a hunter but but he has it's not a moose some other animal but it's like a moose and um and he said he said that his dad used to always tell him that whenever you get if, if you ever get comfortable that's the time when a moose jumps out of nowhere and screws everything up and so he got a moose head and he put it on the wall and so i put that in the magazine anyway all of which is to say that jeff slow played it yep. so perfectly and what he focused on is the thing that you really should focus on which is building relationships mm -hmm. jeff built a relationship before he asked for anything and, mm -hmm. I, and i gotta tell you that works so, so well, so much better than coming out of nowhere and just asking for something. Yeah. I love it. So you've got a 20 month old. And so I got to get you out of here so you can go do that one. Cause as a, someone who has a 17 month old, yes. I get it. I totally get it. So one last question. And then we always like to do this sort of selfie shot where we all get pictures of with you. So it's like this thing. So here's okay. the last question. You have lived this life here where I think it's, you have this kind of learn out loud m mindset here. Yeah. What is the secret to living this life well lived that you have here? What's your sort of secret weapon for like always being learning and like exploring this way? Oh, that's a good question. And I don't know that there's an excellent answer to it. I, for me, um, I, for me, I, I have, I have always wanted to, fill in what felt like gaps 
Hmm. Like I, I just, I always wanted to be really aware of what I knew and what I didn't know mm-hmm. and that it was like totally okay not to know that stuff, but also mm-hmm. it would be pretty awesome to know that stuff. Yeah. And, and that that was like entirely possible. Right? That there's like nothing stopping you from getting better at something or from, and, and, and I just, I, I don't know, I have this balance that I, I think I keep fairly well where I'm, I'm driving myself really hard, but I'm not miserable by it. Yeah. And also I think that I'm, I, and I like generally balance my life pretty well. I will admit to you, I enjoy like writing a podcast script a mm-hmm. lot more than I enjoy like following the 20 month old around the house. <laughs> but, but like I do both. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I just, I just think that it's, I just think that it's really valuable to remind yourself of what you don't know mm-hmm. and to have proven to yourself enough times that you can, you can know more and you can figure it out. I, I started telling myself this thing, which was, which was, I can't wait for the second time. Like I remember telling myself that the very first time I stepped onto a a stage to give a keynote where I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but, (laughs) but I can't wait for the second time because the first time is going to suck. Like at first time, I'm not going to know what I'm doing. I'm going to feel like I didn't do all that. There's a, there's a giant gap. Ira Glass has this nice line that there's a gap. Ira Glass of this American life. Uh, This isn't it exactly, but it's something like there's a large, there's a large gap at the beginning uh, of anything you do between your tastes and your abilities. And it's true, right? Your taste for what good looks like. Right. And you also are going to see that you're not really able to deliver good at the very beginning. Um, And that's okay because that's what everyone does. And so as long as you have this thing in you that says it's okay to have not done that well at this. But also I know because I've done it enough times that I can get better at this. Like the, then you just go and you do it. It becomes a game. You know, yeah. the, the number of times that I've put myself on television to talk about something that I don't really know that much about just to get comfortable doing that is, it's a lot. I, yeah. I look back on those early TV appearances and just cringe. They were terrible. But I wouldn't know how to do it if I didn't right. do those first. Right. So I don't know. That was pretty rambly, but maybe it was great. Actually, I, I loved it. I loved it. And and to your point here, please add us to the spreadsheet, the goodness spreadsheet. We're going to call it here. We all need our good goodness spreadsheet here, the Karma Bank. Because I think we're all fans of you and the work that you do. And uh, I will say, you have been a giver of good karma more times than I can count. So I think all of us should certainly repay in big favors here. Oh, look, there we go. There's our little helper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I got a little wave. We got to get a little wave here. We're going to get that one in the selfie here. We got to get the baby in the selfie here because this is like a too important here to not have you and baby. This is one of these ones. This is where people talk about vulnerability. Hey, I brought my, my 20 month old to a, a, cl- a live class here. I know. I know. So this is also possibly my wife being like, you promised me that this You promised us. Yes. This is a good nudge right here. Let him in. Let him in. Come on in. Come on in. Join the crowd here. It's fine. Um, yeah. Hey, listen, thank you for having me. Questions. I will absolutely. You'll hear from me uh, when there's a book to, to market. And in the meantime, absolutely. Thanks. You know, thanks to anybody who checked out the podcast. Super appreciate it. If you want to give a rating um, on Apple, I would appreciate you even more. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Instagram at Hey Pfeiffer, H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R. Maybe I'll just drop that in the chat if I'm able to do that. Yeah, IG, because um, I do, I'm super responsive. I'll respond to DMs, whatever. We're gonna, and a bunch of the authors, we're going to send you a stack of books from a bunch of the authors too. So like you get a, you get a bunch of books to put from all these crazy authors who you helped inspire do their great. Oh, great. I love it. All right.
Oh, thanks everyone. I got to go uh, make sure he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> over there. <laughs> thanks, Jason. Thanks, right. everyone. Take care. You bet. Thank you.